0: you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 16 while you're turning let's talk about what we just sung well first we sang nothing in my hands I bring nothing we just confess these words together thy work alone O Christ, thy work alone. Salvation is by works. What? It's just by the work of Christ. And it's his work alone that can ease the weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. So many people looking for peace. Nothing but Christ. Nothing but the forgiveness, the salvation that is found in him. Nothing but Jesus and his work. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee. So many people want to confess our love to God. That's good. But let us remember the first thing, the primary thing, the most important thing is his love toward us. His love to us. And his love to us alone can rid us of. Of the dark unrest and set our spirit free. What wonderful words that we have just confessed together. A precious reminder of the efficacious work of our Savior. In rescuing us sinners from the pit. In in ransoming us from bondage to sin. in, In setting us in his kingdom as joint heirs in Christ. What a wonderful reminder of the great salvation that we have. And all the benefits of salvation in Christ are ours, not by what our hands have done, but by the free gift of grace through faith. And faith is the alone instrument of our salvation. You've made your way to Acts chapter sixteen. We'll read together verses one through five. This will be our text for today. Now, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and there uh, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to leave with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the ordinances for them to follow, which had been determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So, the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Great God of our salvation, we ask for your blessing now. Make your word plain to us, we pray. Help us to hear, help us to heed, help the preaching this morning to be a means of grace for us now. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last time we looked at the association between the churches and the meeting that occurred in Jerusalem. uh, And and we spoke about associationalism that is found there. And we've spent some time talking about that. that. That meeting in Jerusalem of all the churches was to address the threat to the gospel by the Judaizers. Just to remember to remind us, not that we would forget, but to remind us again, uh, the Judaizers wanted to make circumcision a part of salvation. Uh, they, they wanted to add works to the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Christ was born. Lived a perfect life, died a death on Calvary, and was raised from the dead. And he did those things on our behalf for our benefit. That's the gospel. And, and what we are called to do in the scripture is to believe. To believe that. To, to believe more than just a more than just a notitia more than just a knowledge of the facts, but to trust our whole selves, to lean on Christ, as it were, to have faith in his life and death and resurrection as our hope for forgiveness of sin and for eternity in heaven. That is the gospel. And they wanted to add to the gospel, oh, and you also must do There are many churches, even today, that have this element of, oh, and you also must do. Well, if you want to go to heaven, believe in Jesus, and and that's where they get off. You're adding something. Now, Christians, we can say, after we have believed in Christ savingly, and we are his, there's a lot of and, right? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things to do, but it's not so that we might earn, that we might earn our place before God. Uh, I think about my children. They grew up in my home. They are my children. They did absolutely nothing to secure that place of being my children. Stacey and I had to do everything. We did it all. And cared for them through the first years of that. They did nothing to secure their standing before me as their father. That doesn't mean that there weren't things that they needed to do. But do them or not do them. That made made my son an obedient son or a disobedient son. It made him a son who I was pleased with today or a son who I might be displeased with. But all of that, he's still a son. When we are in Christ. It is not based on how well we perform. And so many churches tend toward that. Because the heart of man tends toward that. The heart of man is. I want to earn my salvation. Or I want to help. I want, I want to. <laughs> it's the shake and bake gospel right? It's shake and bake and I help. I want, I want to help. I want to do a little something. And that is not the gospel. The gospel plus anything is powerless. And it is not a gospel at all. So we we believe in Jesus Christ. We trust in what he has done, not what our hands have done as we have just done. So since, and, and I'm <laughs> My wife always reads my sermons, and uh, now she's thinking none of that was written down there. But it's still, it's still good for us to talk about this. Last time we talked about this meeting in Jerusalem, and we talked about the fact that we see the churches of those regions associating together and coming together for those meetings. So since we look at that last time, I want to I take the last part of this passage first, and then we'll take the first part last. Um, so, so we're sort of tacking on to what we looked at last week with associationalism. Paul and Silas have been sent out on this second missionary journey in the book of Acts. So, so last time, Paul and Barnabas, and i got to do it this way. Paul and Barnabas left and sailed to Cyprus, so they sailed west, and then they came up, and then they traveled from west to east. Now, if I did that this way, it would have been backwards. So, so they travel from west to east visiting these churches. Now, Paul and Silas leave and they go the opposite direction. They're traveling from east to west. So the churches they came to first last time, they'll come to last this time. It's, it's in reverse order. Uh, but by land, it's closer than that whole sailing thing that they did before. So that's what they're doing. They have set out on this second missionary journey. And now let's consider verses four and five. Let's read those again, verse four. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the ordinances for them to follow, which had been determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. I, let me just say for a moment, you now there's, there's some more stuff that's, when you write a short sermon, you tend to add stuff. That's what I'm doing. Um, this has been determined that they should follow uh, but in determining it's not like they made up new stuff we've decided new rules we're going to add some new things no they determined we have we have looked at the gospel we've looked at what god has done and we're looked at we've looked at what god is doing and we're just affirming we're just saying amen to what god is doing they're not adding a new thing so they're they're coming, calling solace to these churches, and they're delivering the ordinances for them to follow. Because that's what we're to do with the ordinances of Scripture. We're to follow them. <coughs> Excuse me. So they're, they're sharing, as they do that, the letter that we find in Acts 15. They're, they're sharing that letter. And it's a little conjecture, but... There was probably not just a reading of the letter and thank you and and sitting down, but probably a full report. Okay, everybody wants to know what happened at the meeting in Jerusalem. Let us read the letter and we'll tell you a full report was probably given uh, from the meeting in Jerusalem and an explanation as to why this is so important. This is so vital. Some people might have thought, well, what does that matter to us? Why does that? And and they would have to explain to them what mattered and why it was so important. And I've just done that with you. When I explained the gospel plus anything is powerless and it's not a gospel at all. And Paul would have used different words, but he would have to say that this is important because we cannot add circumcision or anything else to the gospel So they would give this full report and they would say, here's what is written. Then verse five, as as we talked about, they're they're giving this report to the church. Verse five starts with the word so, S-O. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith. So the churches. And here in this place, the word so means thereby or by so doing or on account of this on account of the fact that they were delivering this this decree this this letter and this report from Jerusalem on that account by doing that the churches were strengthened in their faith the strengthening of the churches in the faith is not another thought It's the same thought. The churches were strengthened in the faith by the delivering of the ordinance and the letter and the report. That's what strengthened the churches here in this place. And they're strengthened. Notice in your Bible, it doesn't say they were strengthened in faith. Look closely. They were strengthened in the faith. And that's different. We 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 need to think about that as different. The faith to us is is subjective. Uh, I have faith. You have faith. It it may be slightly different. But the faith. The faith. The faith is that body of doctrine that we hold as our confession. That body of doctrine that we hold to be true. That we hold to be from the scripture, from God. And they were strengthened in that, in the faith. They were strengthened in their understanding and their love for the gospel. They were strengthened in their resolve to protect and to preserve the gospel from the threats that would come. That would compromise the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation. They were strengthened in the faith. Verse five, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Church, we should be increased in the faith by these same type things. When we come together and we hear the gospel preached, how many of us would say, well, I heard that before. I've already, I already knew that. I already knew that. We're not learning new data, but are we being strengthened in the faith? Are we being strengthened? And we should be strengthened by these things. When, and I mentioned this last week, when the churches of our association held to the classic doctrine, classic theological doctrine of divine impassibility, and then they produced a paper to that effect. We should be, and I believe at that time as a church, we were strengthened in the faith. For many of us, we went from saying, I don't know what impassibility is, to believing the doctrine of divine impassibility. We're strengthened in the faith. When the churches come together as they did last week or or week before, and, and we have lectures on the doctrine of God, We should be strengthened in the faith. And we should pay attention when those things happen in our own church, when those things happen in our sister churches, we should pay attention to these things so that we may be strengthened in the faith by them. These churches were strengthened in the faith by what happened at Jerusalem as it was delivered by Paul and Silas. Now one more thing before we leave this verse. It says here in verse five, the churches were increasing in number daily, increasing in number daily. Now, this was an especially blessed time with unique results as the gospel was preached for the first time among the Gentiles. These results are, are what we would call extraordinary. Now we've seen in our study of Acts that, that there was added to the church thousands at a time. Thousands in, in a day. And here we have this continued blessing that the church was increasing in number daily. And as we look at this in scripture, there are two there are two errors that we may have a tendency to fall into, and, and it's important that we avoid. Both of these errors. So let's first consider and avoid the error of thinking that this miraculous numerical growth should be expected in our day. Why don't we ever see 4,000 come to the church in one day? Why don't we ever see 5,000 added? Why don't we see increase in number daily? So we should not fall into the error of expecting that in our day or in every generation. This is an error that will tempt us to be discouraged when we don't see those amazing results for our labors. So let us not think we should be seeing the book of Acts kind of numbers and growth. That was a special time. So that's the first error to avoid. Second error is on the other side of the road in the other ditch. Let us avoid the error of thinking we should have no expectation of growth. We should we should not expect any to be added to the Lord, added to the church. Friends, God is still in the business of saving sinners. God is God is still working to do his will and we should expect that his work will work. That his work will be effectual. We don't expect thousands to come to faith in Jesus, but some of us don't expect anybody to come to faith in Jesus. We should expect That the Holy Spirit is working. That that God is using the means that he has ordained. And we will see the harvest as God gives the increase. So we plant and we water. What do we do tomorrow? We plant and we water. And next week we plant and we water. And if the Lord tarries his coming next year, we plant and we water. And we lean, we, we look to God to bring fruit. And we expect it. We should expect it. So let us not fall into the error that there should be thousands coming. And let us not fall into the error that there's no one coming. God is working. So that's the first place we went to the end now. in the second place, for the second thing, I'd like to go back to the first three verses and we'll spend the rest of our time here. This part of the this section of the passage, uh, I've just kind of titled for my sermon: "Choosing Timothy for Ministry." That's that's what happens here. This is the account of Timothy being chosen for ministry. But here, we will learn some things that are generally applicable about men being chosen for ministry. So we have several things to look at here. First, we have to point out there is a contrast. There's, there's a, a difference and a distinction. Some of you may already be thinking it. Some of you have read ahead and you've been you've you've had your thinking caps on. There's a difference between the close of 15, close of chapter 15, and the open of chapter 16. In chapter 15, John Martin was a young man who was who was willing, ready to go. You kind of get the impression his bags were packed. His, his, he was ready to roll. And John Mark was not chosen as a ministry helper because of his lack of faithfulness during the first missionary journey. We don't know exactly why, but maybe because it was more comfortable, maybe because of the hardship of the journey, he went home. And for that, Paul said, we're not taking him. Now I'll remind you that Mark will be useful later in ministry. that's exactly what Paul says he is useful to me. bring him he's useful to me later after he has a little more maturity after he's grown a little that was 15 but here in Timothy here in chapter 16 we have Timothy and as we think of Timothy now in Sunday school we've been studying through the book of First Timothy and second Timothy. so we think of Timothy, as what? As this pastor, elder, a preacher of the gospel. Uh, and, and when those books, First and 2 Timothy were written, Paul, of uh, Paul, uh, Paul's probably in his 60s. Timothy's probably in his 30s. Uh, but here, Timothy's not any of that yet. Timothy's not in chapter 16, verses 1, 2, and 3. Timothy's not a preacher. He's not a pastor. He's not Timothy the evangelist. He's just a young man. I'm not sure how young, but but probably maybe in his early twenties. He's just a young man. And he will become the evangelist. He will become the elder and the pastor, but he's not here. And, and we might need to take note that this this job, this task, this calling, I want you to come with me, is not, would you come and be a pastor? That's not what Timothy's job is here. We might understand it more like a pastoral intern. Timothy would certainly have served the other men that were there. Helping them, enabling them as they would minister the word of God. But I'm sure Timothy carried their bags. I'm sure Timothy took out the trash and kept things organized. I'm I'm sure when Paul said, where's my copy of the scripture? Timothy was on it. I'm sure that that's that's where he was here. Uh, Timothy would have been a fly on the wall in conversations that were happening between Paul and Silas. He would have been observing their preparations. He would have been hearing as they taught the word of God. And we need to pay attention and take particular note. I, I want you to keep your Bible open. I want you to look and see where Timothy asks for the job. Where Timothy volunteers for this task. Look closely. It's only three verses, verses one, two, and three. As we look there, are you finding it? It's not there. Well. There, there's no volunteering. There's no. Mr. Paul, I would like to apply for this position. That's not here. And now, as we're thinking about this, that there's no volunteering here. I would like to remind you that when Paul, the apostle, was sent on the first missionary journey. Does anybody remember how he volunteered? He didn't volunteer either. The church said, oh, you, need, you need to go. You need to do this thing. We've got a we've got a job for you. And now in this one, when, when Paul and Silas have, have set out uh, at the end of chapter 15, no volunteering. Churches have too many sign up sheets. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Everything in the church today has to be volunteer. We think that's not the way it is here. We have Timothy. And certainly with Timothy, there is a desire to join Paul and Silas on this mission. There is, there must be, there has to be a desire because he could say, no, I'm not going. So there is a desire. We know that. And we're reminded later when Paul writes to Timothy in the epistle, He who desires the office of an elder or bishop or pastor it's all those words all mean the same thing. He who desires that work desires a good work. So desire must be there. But it is imperative that we understand from the scripture that desire is not the main factor. It's not The main thing—it's not the driver; it's not the engine for a man being placed in the ministry. You know what that would look like? Anybody want to be in ministry? Raise your hand. Okay, you're all in ministry. That's what that would look like if desire was the main thing. Too many times in our day, a man expresses a desire. I think I might be interested. Maybe I mean I've heard that from many young men. And and it's good, it always does my heart good to know that a a young Christian man considers ministry. But too many times churches take that, the desire or the, the, the brief passing thought as a call. And for this reason, so many men, when they have a brief desire and then the church rushes them into ministry and then they make shipwreck of that ministry. They make shipwreck of a congregation, of church, a church congregation. And, and often shame and reproach is brought to the bride of Christ. How sad this is. This is not in Acts 16 volunteerism. There's so much more to be considered before a man receives a call to ministry. And let me also just say this. I've, I've heard men say, well, I have a call to ministry. God's called me to be a pastor. And then you say, well, what church do you pastor? What church called you? Well, no, no church has called me yet. Can I help you a little? You are called. You might be called. And you can say I'm called when a church calls you. But up to that point, you're not called. A man who desires or thinks he desires to serve in ministry should take careful note of this text and the other texts of the book of Acts. Note here that Timothy was a churchman. We don't use that word a lot. Timothy was a churchman. He's not volunteering For ministry, but his working and serving in the church, this is not potential. Timothy's not saying, Well, I could potentially work and serve in the church if I ever get the call. If the apostle ever knocks on my door and says, I want you, then I'll start working and serving, and then I'll start using my gifts and abilities in the church. Timothy is a churchman. This young man was working and serving the church and its members to such an extent that verse two tells us he was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters. Now, now can I just tell y'all, I don't think there's a single person in our church that I wouldn't say, man, I like that guy. I like that Man, I'd like to spend time with him. I'd love to sit on the porch and talk for hours. I don't think there's a single man in our church that I wouldn't say that about. This is more than that. Well spoken of is just not not like, he's got great manners. They're speaking of something of a giftedness for serving in ministry. And that's that's what's here. He was so much of a churchman serving Christ by serving the bride of Christ that he had a reputation that's good, that's really good and this demonstrates a servant's heart, but it's more than just demonstrating a giftedness in serving the Lord's people, it certainly does demonstrate that Uh, I I don't know what different kinds of service Timothy was involved in, but I want to say that he was probably setting up chairs and sweeping floors and taking out trash uh, he was probably serving in the church in any way that he could serve. Maybe he was one who encouraged the saints. Maybe he was one who prayed for the saints and they knew, you now there's some people that's like, I'll be praying for you and you know they're not gonna pray for you. And there's other people that say, I to be praying for you and you know they will be lifting your name to the Lord. Maybe Timothy was someone who prayed for the saints. Perhaps he challenged the members to grow in the faith, to grow in in faith and good works. Timothy was serving and his giftedness and his willingness to serve was not only restricted to his local congregation. Timothy's hometown was Lystra. But here we have that, that he was known in Lystra and Iconium. So this is out of town people who are speaking well, speaking highly. You, you know how that works? Just this last week, I had a conversation with Pastor Brent about a young man who does not go to our church. He's in a sister church two and a half hours away from here. And Pastor Brent said, you know what I've seen about this young man serving? That's how that works. You do things and other, other places recognize, other churches. And that's what happens here. I'm skipping some stuff for the sake of time. The believers from these churches at Lystra and Iconium highlighted Timothy as a person who Paul should take note of. They were essentially calling him to service. They were essentially saying, we think this young man should be in vocational ministry. This is the call of the church. And this is vital. This is vital. I'd like to make the point a little stronger. I hear men say, and I've said this, and I might say it again. Just know when I say it, that I said it backwards. Well, I, I felt the call to ministry, and then the church affirmed that calling. And that's backwards. What happened here is, There's there's nothing here to say that Timothy felt a call and the church affirmed it. The church called and Timothy's desire for ministry affirmed that. See, it's that way. So we don't want to have the caboose pulling the train here. The church calls a man to ministry and his desire is the affirming thing. With Timothy we see the church calling And then the apostle We don't have apostles today though This is a special case But the apostle desired to take him along And then Timothy's desire Becomes the affirming thing Another thing that we take note of here Timothy was not a child He was a young man But he wasn't a child This means that Timothy uh, Would have been trained For a profession For a vocation of some sort probably from the time he was young, 10 to 12 years old. He would have been trained in some some vocation. And here, Timothy in his early 20s probably was not just sitting in his bedroom waiting. He He had to be working. He was doing something. There was surely some work that Timothy was doing before this time, still serving the church, still giving of himself, still using his talents in the, in the church, still a churchman, but holding a job. I've heard people say, preachers don't know anything about that. Preachers do know something about that. I've heard many preachers say, if I wasn't a preacher, I don't know what I'd do. I can't do anything else. And that sounds something, in the moment, that sounds a little man, that's spiritual, that's holy. But I I don't think it is. I think it's a shame. I I tend to think if a young man doesn't know how to work outside of ministry, he's not going to know much about how to work in ministry. If a young man is lazy outside of ministry, he's going to be lazy in ministry. A man ought to plan for an occupation, and if the church calls him to ministry and he has that desire, then when he can leave that occupation, then that's fine. Okay, somebody's probably thinking, but wait a minute! Don't don't preachers need to study? Don't they need to educate themselves? Don't they need to to prepare, read, and prepare for ministry? Yeah, preachers do need to prepare for ministry. But every Christian man should be reading, studying, learning, growing, discussing doctrines with others in the congregation, teaching his children, teaching nieces and nephews or brothers and sisters or whoever will listen. When we see a man doing this, when we see men doing this, Then we'll see which ones are particularly and especially gifted to serve the church in ministry. The work of the ministry of the word here in the book of Acts was no volunteer position and it shouldn't be today. Verse three, Paul wanted this man to lead with him and he took him and circumcised him. Now, this is the part that many of you are thinking, well, we need to spend most of our time there and we're almost out of time. So let's hurry. (laughs) Why did Paul circumcise Timothy Here in Acts 16 When we just read in Acts 15 That Titus was there uncircumcised And he didn't circumcise Titus What's the difference So as we step into this topic First let me just make a quick note here I've heard young Christian men Who are are becoming fathers for the first time Not anybody here But I've heard this And I want to put an end to this error I've heard them say, we should not circumcise our baby boys because Acts 15, Judaizers, let's don't circumcise our baby boys. Well, that's a terrible argument when you look at Acts 16 and see that Timothy was circumcised. What we should know is we have Christian liberty. We have Christian freedom to do whatever we see as the best in circumcising or not circumcising our baby boys. You can make a position of preference, but you cannot make a biblical position of why you must or must not circumcise your baby baby boys. So, um, that was free. Let's say that, let's say first that Timothy's circumcision was different from that of the Judaizers. And I don't mean that the circumcision was different, but what I mean is, uh, the circumstance of the circumcision Was different. Uh, In Acts 15, the Judaizers' circumcision was all about um, it becoming part of the gospel. And forbidding that or rejecting that circumcision in Acts 15 was about taking a strong opposition to the threat to the gospel. They were saying gospel plus circumcision, or they were saying. Uh, faith plus circumcision, that's the gospel. And we took a strong position in Acts 15. That is no gospel at all. That was a modification of the gospel, and that is no gospel at all. So Timothy's circumcision here in Acts 16, this is not an addition to the gospel. No one is saying Timothy is not a Christian. As a matter of fact, he has a reputation for being a mature Christian. For being a serving He is a Christian man. No one's saying well he's not a full disciple of Jesus. Until he's circumcised. Rather circumcision in this text. Is in no way related to Timothy's standing before God. I'm going to say that again. Circumcision in this text. Acts 16 is in no way related to Timothy's standing before God. It is absolutely and only related to Timothy standing before men, particularly the Jewish people whom he would be ministering to. Does that make sense? This is not, a, are you saved or are you not based on circumcision? This is, this is a position of who's going to listen to you? So Titus wasn't circumcised. Timothy was. What's the difference there? Well, Titus... He was a minister of the word, just like Timothy would become a minister of the word. But Titus was uh, 100% Gentile. Titus, Titus was all Gentile, meaning his mother as well as his father were Greek. And when we read that word Greek in this text, it means not Jewish. They were Greek. They were not Jewish. So no one expects Titus, a Greek, a Gentile, no connection to the Jews. No one expects Titus to be circumcised. As a matter of fact, if Titus had become circumcised, it would have confused the whole matter of the gospel. So Titus was not circumcised. No one expected that. But Timothy here, Timothy, as we read, and we find in verse one, we find in verse three, Timothy's mother was a Jew, a believing Jew, a Christian woman believing in Christ, but a Jew. And his father was a Greek, not a Jew. Verse three indicates that everyone knew this. Everyone knew His mom's a Jew, his dad's a Greek. And it's very likely because of this, Timothy having grown up there from birth when they would expect a baby boy would be circumcised or not, it's very likely that everybody knew Timothy's non-circumcision status. He would have grown up with the Jewish leaders in the synagogue asking from birth on about this boy being circumcised. There's a good chance that his Greek father opposed circumcision. And that's why he wasn't circumcised. But now Timothy is a grown man. Things are different. And there's a reason. There's a reason for him to be circumcised. He will be traveling with Paul. He'll be ministering among the Jews in every place. As well as the Gentiles. He'll be ministering to Jews and Gentiles. Well when you minister to Gentiles, Timothy... Circumcision is not going to hinder you. But when you minister to the Jews, non-circumcision will hinder you. So Timothy, who did not have to be circumcised to be right with God. There's no works required to be a Christian. But in order for many of the Jews to listen to the gospel as it was preached as he is the aid there to those who preach the gospel, circumcision would be necessary. Now Timothy, even at this point, had the freedom to say, I'm not doing that. He had the freedom to not be circumcised and he would be right before God. But Timothy limits his own freedom in order to reach some with the gospel who would be unreachable without it. Paul the Apostle speaks of this laying aside of Christian privilege, Christian freedom for the sake of others. He writes this in 1 Corinthians 19. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might gain Jews. To those who were under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, so that I might gain those who were under the law. You see what he's saying? I limited my personal Christian liberty so that I could reach others. He continues, to those who are without the law, I became as one without the law, not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I want to spend time on that. We don't have time. So that I might gain those who are without the law. To the weak. I became weak. That I might gain the weak. I have become all things. To all people. So that I may. By all means. Save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. So that I may become. A fellow partaker of it. Wow. What. What. What a statement. i become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And there are Christians, there are Christians who have their set of rules or their set of liberties, and they say, I will not. For anybody. I will not sacrifice Anything to reach anybody. Christians, there are many freedoms that we have in Christ. And the subject of Christian liberty is is an interesting one. And it is an important subject. And, And we dare not give up freedoms that may compromise the gospel. Here's what I'm saying. Titus had the freedom to not be circumcised. And it would have been a grave mistake. It would have been wrong for him to give up that freedom. Because the gospel would have been compromised. He must not be circumcised. But there are times when we are called to lay aside our freedoms. Like here with Timothy. He must be circumcised. How can you say that? Titus must not be circumcised. Timothy must be circumcised. It's not a matter of the gospel. It's a matter of not compromising the gospel on the one hand, but giving up our our liberty for others, for the sake of others. Knowing when to and when not to give up Christian liberty takes wisdom and discernment. Sometimes beyond what we have. Sometimes we have to go to a wiser, more mature Christian and say, I'm struggling with this. Should I, what should I do here? I'm sure that Paul's wisdom and Paul's discernment were key in this decision. Timothy was a young man. How's he going to know how to handle this? So Paul's wisdom comes in and I can just imagine Timothy saying, before we leave, you want me to, but Paul's wisdom, Paul's discernment comes in and this is not a decision to be taken lightly, but Timothy surely was convinced that this sacrifice would pay off in influence in the respect of the Jews to those whom they would be preaching in the days, in the months, in the years to come. Let us pray that God would change our hearts that we could say with the Apostle Paul, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. May God give us wisdom and discernment to know when to limit our liberty for the sake of others and for the cause of Christ. Acts 16, 1 through 5. Now, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. There was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was spoken well of by the brothers and sisters who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to leave with him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew his father was a Greek. But while they were passing through the cities, They were delivering the ordinances for them to follow which had been determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number day. God, we pray that you apply these things to our heart, that you would would strengthen us in the faith, that you'd strengthen us in, in wisdom, help our discernment, God forgive us, where we have held to our liberties at the expense, at the cost of others. God help us to have the heart for the gospel—the heart that you would have us have. Help us to share in the love of God and the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who for the love of sinners left heaven, took on flesh becoming a man, lowering himself as it were, to become in the likeness of man, fulfilling the whole of the law On our behalf that we might be clothed In his righteousness That we might be counted As righteous because of what he Has done Then going to Calvary and dying There as our sins The sins of everyone who would believe In him were laid on him On the cross and he died Paying our sin debt Shedding his life's blood For our ransom For our forgiveness to Purchase our pardon. God, give us us a love for one another. Give us a love for sinners that you have. As we love you, as our love for you increases, help us to love what you love and to hate what you hate. God, as we come to the table, we pray that you would use it as a means of grace for your people. We ask this in Christ's name.